Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today we have on the line our frequent guest and contributor, Joseph Sabo. Welcome to the show, Joseph. Salutations. Salutations. So today we got an interesting topic. Uh, as, as you know, there's there was a, a hurricane that hit Texas. It was a Category 4 hurricane. And uh, do you know what that hurricane was called? Harvey, I believe. Uh, that's not the one I'm thinking of. I'm thinking Is of that the great, I'm thinking of uh, myself. I'm thinking of the Great Galveston Hurricane of the year 1900. And uh, oh. how how many people died? Twelve thousand people died. Twelve thousand. Twelve thousand. So, but you mentioned a modern hurricane, one that is it's going on right now. There's there's uh, rescue trucks, and you see the videos of people being brought out of the water. Do you want to take a guess how many people have died today? Like thirty? Oh, today? I well, don't know, not two, not today. Nine. Just just in in this modern Hurricane Harvey. Oh, 30, I think I heard. Yeah, I think it's up to Something 30, like that. I don't know. I 35, maybe. So okay. don't get me wrong. 35 people is tragic. It's a Category 4 hurricane, Hurricane Harvey. Same category hurricane as the Great Galveston Hurricane. But 100 years ago, we didn't have as good of an infrastructure, right? And so 1,200 people died. 1,200. So that's a I lot of like- people. <laughs> I feel like there's an argument for capitalism somewhere in there, but absolutely, maybe that's for another time. Yeah, absolutely. You look at the, the earthquake in Chile versus the earthquake in Haiti, and the the amount, the difference between deaths. The more industrialized, the more capitalism and prosperity, these earthquakes tend not to kill as many people. And so, what does that signify in your mind? I guess. I might be leading you on a little bit here. So the, these prophets, they, they go out there, uh, modern-day prophets, and they say, God sent this earthquake. God sent this hurricane. The- I would say he's not doing a very good job if his intention is to get people to disaster. That, that would be my assumption there, I guess. Yeah, so, so what, what, does God judge Haiti harsher? Did... God judge Galveston in the 1900s harsher than he is today? Was Galveston, well, I don't know. Modern day people might say Texas has these uh, homosexual events, these big homosexual events, and God is passing judgment. So Galveston in the 1900s, do you see like a large homosexual parade going on then? There was significantly less buggering going on back then, I imagine. Yeah. It's significantly less buggery. And so today we're going to be talking about this, this problem of does God control the weather? Does God control the weather? I might have, I might have played my hand already. You might have played your hand. And uh, I, Roll credits. Roll credits. My, I'm just going to go off the top of my head. I'm going to say I don't think that God is judging Galveston in the 1900s and then uh, judging Gal- or Texas today. And that disparity there, was Galveston in the 1900s that much more wicked than today? The, I doubt the, it. Yeah, the tower in Shalom that fell, remember, in the Bible? Were those yep. the most wicked Jews of the day? I doubt it. Yeah. So the Pharisees, they're fatalists, and they come to Jesus, and they say, all, th- this tower fell, and all these people died. And Jesus says, they're not the most wicked people. You think they are? You're wrong. Sometimes things just happen. There's there's some things called happenstance. 
Right. And but, he also, in that instance, he, re he refocuses the discussion towards something that's more important, which would be a good opportunity for people now that want to try to attribute murder and billions of dollars of property damage, the, you know, putting out of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, the, you know, you want to attribute all these things to God. Well, there was a similar situation to the degree that there was a, a disaster and Jesus was directly asked about it. And he focused the direction toward or focused the conversation towards something that was a little bit more important, which is, you know, be eternally minded. Don't necessarily mm -hmm. worry about why those people die. That's kind of none of your business. You just worry about doing the kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so we're going to go over one of these individuals. We're going to play their video about a minute and a half of their video. And then we're just going to kind of discuss the ideas that he throws out, why he thinks that God orchestrated this, this modern day hurricane. I don't know his opinion on the hurricane of uh, 1900, but maybe, maybe he could weigh in on that at, at some point in some uh, venue. That'd be outstanding. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to flip to about a minute and a half of that, and then we will be right back. All right. Did God send the flood that is now uh, destroying Houston? Uh, the simple answer is yes. Uh, of course he did. Uh, the Bible says that God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. And so according to the Bible, according to Jesus, God is the one who sends the rain. You know, God is the God of heaven and earth. He's in charge of the weather. Uh, the idea that the weather just operates autonomously or without God is nonsense. Uh, the weather doesn't have free will. Jesus commanded the winds and the waves and they obeyed him. And so the weather does whatever God wants it to do. It has no free will. Uh, the Bible says that uh, you know, God judges the wicked and that you can only test his patience for so long. And Houston has become a very, very wicked city. In fact, I've preached in Houston and I've seen the streets full of wickedness and sin during the gay pride. The fact is, Houston flooded itself with wickedness and sin long before God flooded Houston with water. I've gone out there many years preaching to their gay pride events and I've seen their wickedness. They have one of the biggest gay prides in the country, uh, not to mention the abortion clinics. And someone mentioned they have one of the biggest abortion clinics, if not the biggest abortion clinic in the country. And they elected the first uh, lesbian mayor there in Houston. And so it goes to show just how wicked uh, the city of Houston has become. So yes, God judges cities. God judges people. Even now, after the cross, the idea that all judgment stopped at the cross is not true. So, so let's let's go over his basic arguments quick because it's not like he's coming to this issue without arguments. He's he's actually has a case that he's presenting for the audience to consider. That's true. So, it goes something like this: Houston has gay people in it. God hates gay people, or God at least hates gay sin. Therefore, God sent a hurricane to judge Houston. Right. And then he, he throws in Bible verses. God sends uh, the rain on the just and the unjust. And, uh, you know, there are verses about God controlling weather. You just, yes. uh, just Google, does God control the weather? About 50 articles will come up, and all of them will say, yes, he does control the weather. So... 
you know, he does have a case. And uh, for the record, I do like uh, Jesse Morrell. I respect him, uh, and I respect him as a theologian. I've donated to him, so I've, I've given him a lot of my own money, maybe, maybe a couple thousand dollars in my life. I don't know. So it's not like I dislike the things in, that he does and teaches or his theology. This is a, a friendly discussion where I just have a disagreement on this one issue. Yeah, I agree with that too. Um, his video on why I'm an open theist is probably the best summary of open theism on YouTube. I think it's very good. And then he's also got a video, um, did Augustine corrupt the church with Gnostic doctrine? That's very good as well. Yeah, so, so, I mean, I, I like Jesse, I respect him. Um, I do want to say for the record, I think God can do whatever he wants, you know, but there's a difference between positively attributing something to God and saying, maybe, you know, and he's he's taking a position and he's affirming that God did send this hurricane for these reasons. So, yeah, so I, I think it's interesting how how solid he is at saying, look at what this verse says. The verse says God sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. And then he says, that proves my point. Well, uh, does it? Does it? You know, does does that mean God controls all weather? No. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so either. I control my children. Does the, I? I'll, I'll be at a restaurant and my children will be behaved. And afterwards, someone will come up to me and they say, "Wow, wow, you have great control over your children." They'll they'll say something like that. Does that mean I micromanage their every action and then every day of their life I I I control everything they ever do? It does not. It does not. So even if the Bible says God controls the weather, it doesn't mean that it's meticulous control. It's every single molecule from all eternity, from all time. It doesn't mean that. So, and then uh, that God sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. Yeah, so if, if we're bombing a city, let's say it's uh, World War II, Hiroshima, we're, we're bombing some good people and bad people alike. There's collateral damage. Does that mean? Does that mean when God punishes the unjust, that He's also punishing the righteous? Then how do we deal with uh, places like Sodom and Gomorrah, where you know He actually considered how many righteous people were in the city before deciding to destroy it? Yeah, isn't there a verse two where it says something like, um, "If Daniel and Elijah and..." Can't remember the third person were in the city like they would be saved because of their righteousness but the city would perish or something like that yeah so god evacuates his righteous people oh. so that they are saved oh, in the case Noah. Yeah. yeah in the case of uh yeah in the, in the case of lot lot's family was saved by virtue of being related to lot and uh god said they didn't find 10 righteous people in the city he said he would save an entire city of wicked people thousands of people. So I don't know, maybe I think they found archaeologically, they found Sodom, you know, maybe it's like uh, 5,000 people city. They he would have saved it for 10 righteous people. Right. And that instance, so <clears throat> you could look at verses in the Old Testament and Job and the Psalms mostly about God controlling the weather. And those don't have to be taken as literal historical this is a description of how the universe works. You know, ancient peoples, and this is in a lot of scholarly material, you know, they attributed uh, weather patterns and famine and rain and the growth of their crops, you know, to, to whoever their, their deity was. 
So you can make a case that um, that might be what's going on here. You know, you have a you have a group of people in a in a specific context, whether you like the ancient Near Eastern context or not, interacting within that context, within their own framework, and attributing actions to God. And uh, Greg Boyd's recent book, he touches, I don't know if he touches on natural disaster or not, but this is kind of his theme throughout the Old Testament, is that you have um, culturally conditioned individuals who see an event and jump to conclusions. So sort of like the situation that we're in now, Jesse has a, a certain mind frame, so he sees an event, you know, the a hurricane comes, and he attributes this to God's judgment. It's it's the exact same thing, but in the Old Testament, you know, it's a little different there. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you this it's not like you, you know, you don't read God sends the rain on the just and the unjust, and then from that gather that, you know, well, God's in control of every storm ever. And, mm-hmm. and also his point about whether or not having free will, I mean, that's just... It doesn't even matter. I mean, of course, weather doesn't have free will. Well, Ma- magnets don't have free will. Are you saying that magnetism doesn't exist and that's really God exerting his will on two objects? I mean, there are natural forces in our universe that are testable and verifiable. And weather patterns is, you know, one of them. There's a reason why it rains. You know, there's a reason why you see dew on the ground. There's a reason why lightning happens. You know, and this is not because, you know, God threw his little lightning bolt down and, you know, struck Timmy or something. I mean, that's just not, that's going too far in my opinion. Okay. So let me, let me argue the converse real quickly here. Let's let, I'll, I'll, I'll build a counter argument to what you just said. Does, does weather specifically the ocean have free will? Does it? Well, you, you might say no. So conversely, we could look at some uh, biblical texts where the ocean seems to be personified in various forms throughout the Bible. And I got Psalm 77, 16 pulled up. I'm going to read that real quick. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. And so, yep, it, it could be literal. They could be saying that the waters have have volition and the waters are responding, or it could be figurative, it could be personification, poetry. But we also find uh, deep within ancient Near Eastern ideas, the association of water and chaos, water and chaos. So a lot of these verses that Jesse Morell turns to is not about God controlling the weather. He's not controlling the weather, he's taming the weather, he's taming the ocean. It says uh, in Psalms 104, you covered it with a deep as a garment. Waters that stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. So God rebukes the ocean. At the sound of their thunder, they took flight. The mountains rose. The valley sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass. And so the water is always raging. It's trying to get out these boundaries. But, and this is a constant theme in the Bible. You'll find verse after verse where God sets boundaries for the water. It's like he's caging the water in. The water is the chaos. It's associated with the Leviathan, this uh, water demons these, that he's consistently fighting throughout the Bible. So ha- did you get a chance ever to uh, read anything of Michael Heiser's about the water monsters, the Leviathan, Rahab? Yes. Right. And so what is your take on that? So, basically, you have uh, 
Leviathan is not like a is not like a dragon, right? It's not like God wrestled with some giant dragon before the creation of the earth and had to subdue him and then you know once he fought this monster down okay well now we're able to create here um highs would take the position that this is in the ancient near eastern mind you know chaos was the original state of everything everything was in chaos and there's a german word for this that i can't really place right now can't remember what it's called um and what god does is he brings order out of the chaos so I'm going to read real quick. Uh, it's association with Rahab, Leviathan, and water. Job 26:11. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. No, notice he's controlling. He's taming the waters. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. And Rahab's associated with this uh, sea mythology, the sea chaos, the sea monster. And so you, you referenced Isaiah 51.8, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old and generations long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced the dragon? So you have this divine struggle, God against chaos. And chaos is consistently associated with the water, with floods, with the waves. And God is consistently controlling the weather. He's taming the weather. He's bounding up the water, placing boundaries. He's calming the oceans. He's walking on the oceans. You get this imagery when, when he divides the water for his people to pass on dry land. It's God versus the chaos of the ocean. Right, and this, this is all, you know, to an ancient person, this, this is all going to resonate with them. This, they're going to understand what's being said here. They're not going to think that, you know, necessarily that that God is is wrestling some dragon, or you know, they're going to look at stories like the crossing of the Red Sea, and their minds instantly going to be drawn to water as a you know as a threat to them. Also, you know, they live in the in a world surrounded by water, as far as they know. You know, out there is death; here on land is safety. You know, and our God has made a way through the chaos for us, through through the danger. You know, He's made a pathway for us. Yeah, I don't you know, know how. I don't know if you've ever went to the ocean where there's actual waves, there's there's actual ocean. I was in Hawaii and I was on the beach. I was standing just like maybe up to my ankles in water and all of a sudden this big wave came out of nowhere and I, I didn't have any experience with the power of the ocean, the power of water, the absolute power of water. It basically flipped me on my head, uh, slammed my head in the ground. I could have broken my neck very easily by the power of this one wave. And uh, if our audience, if they haven't seen the movie Dunkirk, Dunkirk's about the evacuation of uh, British troops during World War II. And there's a lot of water scenes where the water rushes in and people drown. They, they get sucked under. They get, it's, it's, it's a very powerful force and it's very scary. And so the water is power. The water is chaos. It's a very destructive force. People don't think of it like that, but water is scary. Right. I mean, if you take like the old earth, which, you know, you may or may not. I mean, look what look what water has just done to the to the solid rock and granite and the substructure of the earth. You know, I mean, you can take a boulder, stick a little water in there, freeze it, break it in half. You know, water is very powerful. Very, very powerful. So let's 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 turn Isaiah 27 one real quick and uh, look at this imagery. Remember, we already talked about verses where God tames the sea monster. God breaks his head. God 
God stills the water. It's associated with this Rahab, this Leviathan. It says, uh, Isaiah 27.1, In that day, this is the day of the Lord, the coming apocalypse, the coming judgment of the earth where God sets the earth right. In the day of the Lord, with his hard and great and strong sword, he will punish the Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. And you flip over to Revelation 21.1, and there's a lot of uh, parallelism between Revelation and previous apocalyptic texts. Revelation 21.1, Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. There's There's no sea in the new heaven and the new earth. What does that mean? What does that mean? So, so the, if the water's chaos, if God is consistently taming the chaos, if he's consistently exerting power over this chaos, is the sea, does it have its own volition or is it following molecule by molecule exactly what God wants? Or is it a force that he has to tame? He has to use his power to positively control it, to stop it from roaring, to stop it from exceeding its boundaries, to stop it from destruction. Yeah. And uh, so <clears throat> the story of the Bible, if you want to look at it that way, is is God restoring his original plan, you know, his original intent for mankind and why he created us. And you can make an argument that, you know, this Adam and Eve were placed in a garden in hostile world and part of their job was to go out and subdue it and I, I would agree with that but we have in Revelation this is not a uh, you know treatise on the end times where there's not going to be any more water it's it's symbolism of God achieving his plans achieving his goals he's gonna and, and Paul talks about this too you know the whole creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God you know and it cries out so in Revelation, what we're talking about here is the ultimate purposes of God are going to be achieved. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be the reordering of the cosmos according to his design and his plan and the subduing of all that is contrary to what his will is for the entirety of existence. That's what we have going on here. Right. And so there's an interesting incident. You just talked about uh, his, his calming, his controlling his exerting influence in Matthew. Let's let's recall in Matthew 8, Jesus is on a, a ship with his disciples and he's sleeping and a storm arises. Well, do we, the, Jesse Morell, he says, God controls all weather. So did God send this storm? Let's read the text and we'll figure out if the text is trying to hint that this storm is against God or if this storm is God's doing. And uh, it says here, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was uh, swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. This is Jesus is asleep. And they went and woke him up, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose up, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And guess what? Everyone's amazed, because here's Jesus, and he's exerting control over the chaos. He's exerting control over the sea. And they say, who is this that could control the waves? Right. So this is a, we have a sign act here, you know, a lot like we see in the New Testament 
where Christ goes around healing people, casting out demons, and even into Acts where the apostles begin to do these things. You know, he's, he's demonstrating to his disciples who are part of this context, this ancient Near Eastern context, uh, a little more Hellenistic than, say, in the Old Testament, but that they still have this stuff going in their minds. You know, and they even ask themselves, who is this man? That the, Even the wind and the sea obey him. You know, he's this is a sign act where he's showcasing that he has complete authority. You know, he is going to tame the chaos. He is, he is part of God's boring creation. You know, this is not like he's in the boat and he's sleeping and he's dreaming or, or the father's up in heaven is like, I'm going to send this, this storm and then they're going to wake Jesus up and he's going to put it down. I mean, I guess you can go that route if you want to spin around in circles or something. But if you're going to do that, then, you know, we can just make anything say anything that we want it to say, I guess. So. It's interesting. He's rebuking the winds and the waves. So does he do this to himself and then rebuke his own work? It, it, if if you someone wants to claim that God controls all the weather all the time, they have to deal with these verses in which the weather does not want to follow his commands and the the water is tamed. Was it always tamed? Was God always in control of it? Or was this an active thing that God had to do in order to take control, exert control over the forces? And so did he have control of the waves and the storm before Jesus rebuked. It, well, it doesn't read like that to me. I don't, I don't suspect that he did, you know, and then a situation arose and he did what he does. He took control of the situation, handled it. Yeah. So in, yeah. in that sense, I think God controls the weather. So, so if someone asked the question, does God control the weather? In a way I control my kids. Does that mean I micromanage them and they never get out of the line? No, that means I exert general influences and I could jump in and, and exert control when I need to. Yeah. I think we should touch on the flood maybe as well because I think a, a lot of people's minds are going to be drawn to, well, God sent a flood to cover the whole earth, so why can't he do that for Houston? You know? Absolutely. So God, God does use weather sometimes to punish. We see the Sodom and Gomorrah. We have a fire coming from heaven. A fire coming from heaven is a pretty good theme. All the prophets of Baal were killed through a miracle that involved fire from heaven. You know, uh, let's, let's take, for example, the parting of the Red Sea, the Jericho, the walls falling down. There's natural events that God uses time and time again. Uh, the Genesis flood, for example. So God did, can use weather. God can use miracles. And we're not, we're not coming out in this podcast and saying, Jesse Morrell, you are wrong. God absolutely did not do this hurricane. I don't think you, either you or I are making that point. No, I mean, I'm not in a position to make that decision, right? But mm -hmm. I think a, a couple points. You know, Christ was asked the same question, basically. You know, did this tower fall on these people because the, they sinned? You know? And his answer is, don't worry about it. You know, this would be a good this would be a good time to for Jesse, who is a preacher, and I respect the stuff that he does, is to instead of attributing this action to Christ, or yeah, to God, um, taking a cue from his teaching, and instead of affirming that God sent this hurricane to kill everybody and cause damage, point out that 
you know, you don't know when this stuff is going to happen. So it's important that you're living the way you ought to be living and you're doing the things that you ought to be doing and that your heart's in the right place and that you have a relationship with God and that, you know, you're repented and you're in covenant with him. You know, that's that's the teaching that we can draw out of this. I think it's not necessarily to point fingers and say God did this because of abortion or God did this because of homosexuality because we don't know that. You know, it's possible. I mean, I don't know. I have no idea, to be honest with you, you know, yeah. but what was happening thing, in Galveston in 1900? Gay I don't know. Pride parades? Right. <laughs> I don't Left think and right. So. It was everywhere. They were falling from the trees. It was crazy. I mean, I, you know, I mean, <laughs> who knows? I don't think so, because I'm pretty sure it was illegal back then. So by Jesse's own admission, uh, presumably Galveston, Texas, was more righteous and was committing less sin than Houston is today. And more people died, you know, is so, I mean, I don't know. I don't know where you go with that. And I'd also like to point out that, okay, so according with this chaos theme, it's, it's not as if I'm just going to say for the sake of argument, this is something I think that we should consider. It's not like God has to send a flood or God has to necessarily, um, you know, send, send something to send some entity to, to kill, right? These forces are naturally trying to kill. You know, chaos is inherently destructive. So it's possible and worth considering that God at some point, you know, he he tries to get a hold of us and tries to get our attention and tries to get us to turn from our sin and trust him and be in covenant with him. And after so long of us rejecting him, he just turns us over to the natural consequences of our decisions, which could very well be, I mean, he released the waters, yeah, but he was restraining them before, presumably, right? And then now you have a world full of evil that want to commit wickedness and not repent. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, right? They want. They want to experience sin, and they'll experience the death consequences of sin. So, so if this was an act of God, we would expect to see certain indications that this was from God, right? Are you under yeah. that impression? Oh, for sure. I mean— God's not just going to arbitrarily, you know, throw some stuff against the wall and see what sticks. And I'm not going to take credit for this or warn anybody. And then maybe they'll just figure it out. I mean, that that doesn't make any sense. You know, if we had someone that was in Houston that was crying out in the streets that a hurricane's coming, unless you repent from your homosexuality and your abortion, and that didn't happen, and then a hurricane come, then I think we can have a discussion about that. Well, you you got you got uh, 300 million people in the U.S., and so not only do you need someone crying out uh, that destruction's coming, but they need to claim to have direct revelation of this fact. It can't be I got I got a feeling, and I I, I ran the numbers in the Bible, and the apocalypse is going to happen in 1989. It can't be that guy. No, it's got to it be a good. It's got to be a Jonah who's like, I don't want to do this, God. Now you just swallowed me with a fish and forced me to preach destruction. It has to be someone who's accurately predicting the future. And ironically, this is, this is one instance in which the Calvinists, their favorite, favorite proof text is Isaiah 40 through 48. And that actually comes in handy for this situation. Because if you read that text, if you understand what's going on there, it's about ex post facto claims of power. And God says in here, I tell my prophets what I'm going to do before I do it so that when it happens, you know what it was me, but all these false gods who aren't real gods, they wait till after the event happens and then they claim it. So, so that, 
which does this situation resemble is my question, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's God's general strategy for punishment. He wants to punish Nineveh. He sends Jonah. Let, let's read Amos uh, 3.6 real quick. If a trumpet is blown in a city, they, they, they blow trumpets to warn of invading armies and disaster. Will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? And Calvinists, they love this. And they say, see, God destroys every city. Every city on earth that any, any bad thing happens, it's God's doing. But they fail to read the next verse, the very next verse. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Right. And all those verses get picked apart. You know, I like this one. I like this one. I mean, that happens in different circles. But taken as a whole, it's, it's and with the rest of Scripture, it's very clear that we have a modus operandi for how God gets people's attention. You know, I'm going to do this if you don't repent. They don't repent. I'm going to do this if you don't repent. They still don't repent. I'm really going to do this if you don't repent. They don't repent. He does it. You know, I mean, this is this is norm. This is the norm throughout the entirety of the Old Testament with Israel. God's dealings with them. I mean, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. I mean, this was what they did. You know. Right. It's not like after the Tower of Shalom falls, a prophet arises and says, because God controls the wind and God controls all the weather and the wind caused this tower to fall over. It was already bad structure, but the wind pushed it over and killed these people. That is judgment from God after the fact. No, it has to come before or else it really doesn't prove what you're trying to prove. Correct. So the, the Jesus uh, approach that you already went over is probably our better approach with these situations. You know, mm, this probably wasn't from God. It's probably happenstance, but use it as a warning. This is what will happen to evil doers. This is what will happen if you don't repent. Destruction, destruction. So one, yeah, eventually, one way or another, you know. Mm -hmm. So Jesse Morrell, um, I appreciate him. I like his uh, ministry. I don't think his proof texts say what he wants them to mean. I don't think he consistently uses the same reading techniques when reading those verses and reading other verses because God all the time talks about he controls uh, time for places, seasons, deaths, that God controls deaths. Or does that mean he controls all deaths and he micromanages it? Or does that mean he has power over life and death and he could jump in when he wants to and kill someone? Right? So the the verses, his proof texts, I don't think that they say what he's, he's, he's claiming they say. It's like a wonderful movie that that line is repeated. What is that called? <laughs> <laughs> you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it yeah. means. <laughs> and so, uh, so really quickly, uh, we're probably getting about uh, time for the end of this podcast. His points are, we'll go over the pro points that God caused this. His points are Galveston, or not Galveston, Texas was wicked. Houston was wicked. And, you know, that, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll just, for the sake of argument, agree. Uh, Houston, Texas is wicked. He's preached there. He's, he's seen a lot of wickedness, and they did a lot of wicked stuff. Okay, we'll, we'll acknowledge that. The Bible says that uh, it rains on the just and the unjust. Okay, we'll accept that. Uh, Bible says God controls the weather. We'll accept that with qualifications. 
Um, it's, it's not micromanagement, Calvinistic determinism control. He says that the weather doesn't have free will, which uh, I would take a little bit of issue with, especially how water is portrayed in the, in the Bible as chaos, which is in opposition, which needs to be tamed by God. So I think in a sense there might be randomness and chaos inherent in weather that God does have to control. Would, would you say that's accurate, inaccurate? Yeah, I mean, I would go with that, but he, he starts talking about weather doesn't have free will, and I'm just thinking there's a cloud somewhere that's up there <laughs> cognizant of itself and is going, I don't really want to rain today. Oh, I do want to rain today. I mean, yeah. that's so, what I'm thinking of. Yeah, so randomness and chaos I think is inherent in the weather in this world. And outside factors have to control it, have to contain it. So I don't think he has a point there. I don't think it's a cause and act, uh, a fine-turning cog machine that you can predict all the movements. I don't think it's like that necessary. It doesn't seem like that. So he claims the weather doesn't have free will. So therefore, the only thing God doesn't control on earth is free human decisions. Did he say that in the video? I think he either said that or he came pretty close to saying that, I think. Yeah, basically. Basically, the free will is the only thing that God allows outside his control, which... So what about, like, if my cat runs up to me and bites my toe? Well, I don't know if he... I, I, I don't want to speak for him. He might, he might view cats as mechanical, dumb creatures. Okay. He might. Uh, just, just speculating. But some people do. Some people are like, oh, ants are just, they have these small brains and they only function based on instinct. And, and some atheists think that about human beings too, that we're all instinct-based animals and nothing we right. do is random. It's, it's all me me mechanistic. There's gears right. flipping in our body, forcing us to do these actions. Well, that's a question I have for him then, if he watches this. Uh, do you believe that the only thing that God does not exercise control over is human decision mm -hmm. so so yeah we agree with some of his points we disagree with others and our counter evidence is uh versus basically showing how god is in opposition to the weather he has to tame it it's not its natural state to be tame and it's something that it goes from chaos where he's not controlling to something that he tames god 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 has to exert positive influence on the weather to get it to do what he wants and and this, this, this cosmic struggle between chaos and God that we see consistently in the Bible, I don't think you can make the case that everything's micromanaged by God throughout the world. That's, that's not human will. It's, it's not like every single wind blowing is micromanaged by God. I just don't see it. He's, he's bringing about the chaos so that he can fight the chaos. Yeah, just so yeah. he, has, he has something to do. It's job security. So... All right. Do you have uh, any parting thoughts before we go? Um, just that, uh, you know, it really is tragic when a natural disaster takes the lives of people. Mm -hmm. You know, we have, like you pointed out in the beginning, kind of bamboozled me with that little 1900 activity, which was nice, though, because, you know, it shows it shows that we're, we are making some progress in some areas. And one of those areas is that we're, we're mitigating as a species, the effects that nature has on us, mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, it's tragic and terrible, you know, when a bunch of people die and billions of dollars worth of damage, 
you know, I think it's more important that we try to empathize with people and maybe, you know, go the Christ route and just try to use it as a teaching, you know, not necessarily calling down fire and brimstone and, you know, attributing these actions to God. I mean, we don't know, you know, you can't positively say that you can't negatively say that, you know, with any, with a hundred percent certainty. So if, so if I wanted to be a devil's advocate, I guess I could get out there and preach God saved uh, about uh, 1,200 people because uh, 1,200 people died in Galveston. Same category hurricane hit today, and only 35 people died. So maybe he's very, very proud of Texas, and he's, and he's saving us all. That's very possible. If, if I wanted to be a devil's advocate, I don't believe that. But uh, it's, it's, just, it's just how you look at the data. It's just how right. you look at the data. And uh, there's other sides out there. I don't think God controls the weather. I don't think he doesn't micromanage the weather. He does tame the weather. He does exert influence over the chaotic parts of na- nature. Yes. But he's not He's not there playing Legos it, it meticulously with right. the weather. And if, and if the purpose, just assume that Jesse's right, okay? And the purpose of God's intention was to send a storm in order to draw out repentance. I mean, he's failed. I mean, I don't, I don't see, there's no one in the streets, you know, Houston is not crying out for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Clinics and homosexuals aren't, you know, coming to Christ in droves down there because of a hurricane. You know, I mean, there's, there's 20 other ways that you could accomplish that more effectively. You know, if, yeah. like if, if God wanted this to, to serve a purpose and that purpose was to draw attention to himself, sending a hurricane, something that's natural that occurs many, many times a year is, is probably not the way to do it. Mm-hmm. All right. So we are out of time. Thank you so much for coming on our show. This is a good talk. We'll have you on again. And uh, if anyone has any questions about open theism, about weather patterns, about uh, chaos and, and sea monsters in the Bible, Go ahead and send that to God is open questions at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.